Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To go to the Winchester, have a pint, and wait for this all to blow over? Yeah, yeah, w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I am Brad. And today we are back, and uh, today we're going to discuss, we're going to do a second part to our underrated thriller series. And today we got two films, uh, two really underrated films um, that, you know, when we were making this list, I said, oh man, these are two movies I don't hear that much about, but that should be talked about a bit more. We got a uh, Miracle Mile, which came out in the late 80s, versus Arlington Road, which was like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, before we get into it, man, Brad, how you doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, especially good Halloween, nice vacation, uh, done with the spooky season, which is always nice. It's a running joke that as soon as, as soon as October ends, everyone goes into straight up Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you mode. Oh, yeah. I'm like, well, where's the Thanksgiving love? Like, there's just no Thanksgiving love anymore. People just skip over that. Yeah, I I keep seeing, like, the uh, memes and the jokes online of, like, the people in stores, you know, 11.59, October 31st, and then, you know, 12 o'clock hits, and Mariah Carey starts playing on uh, the speakers. Right. That's crazy, man. And I, I used to love that song growing up. I really I really did used to love that song. But nowadays, it's like I just, even when it's not Christmas, I hear it and it just gets on my nerves. See, it is a great song. It's just it is so overplayed that it, the second you hear it, you can't help but go, oh, God, it's that time of year again, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's, it, it is a great song. And yeah, I completely agree with you. But it's like, it's like Feliz Navidad, right? I love that song. But if I keep hearing it over and over, I start to dread it. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I can say that there's a lot of people who have done covers of uh, Mariah Carey's kind of album and everything like that. And they're great. Every single, Mm -hmm. I can listen to the covers all day long, but the second Mariah Carey's version, the original version comes on, I'm like, oh, God damn. Why? Why is this still a song? (laughs) You know, I don't mind... Um, the one Christmas song I can never get tired of is uh, George Michael's, well, it's really Wham, uh, uh, Last Christmas. I really like that song. My wife tells me, oh, that song is like like sad. Like, why, we, why do you like that song? <laughs> I just like that song. I think it's a good song. I gotcha. But uh, we, we are still coming up to uh, November here, so let's uh, not talk Friday. Christmas yet. <laughs> Black Friday's coming up. You being a tech guy, you excited or are you pretty much just satisfied with what you got? Uh, there's really nothing new tech that I need this year for Black Friday. I'm sure that if there's something good for the VR 
coming up and everything like that, maybe I'll pick up like a Quest 2 or something. Because those are nice VR headsets. But unless there's an amazing deal, there's really nothing I need right now. Well, what do you do with those? I mean, so do they have like like certain type of programs or games inside the VR headsets? Or you have to like, you will wear them to play VR games sold separately. Like, what do you use them for? Uh, the, it's basically the same as buying like a PlayStation or an Xbox and stuff like that. It, it's a gotcha. whole self-contained console. And you had to buy the game separately to play it on it. But it has its own, like, Play Store where you can download games and everything like that or applications, whatever you need. And it acts like that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You've opened my eyes. I think I want to um, – well, I, I've told myself I am doing it. I'm getting the AirPods Max. Uh, I've uh, – Oh, the I'm, actual headset, like, over-ear headset version? Yeah. I'm banking on Black Friday make uh, bringing that price down a little bit. Apple has done it in the past, so they might do it with these. I wasn't gonna buy them when they first came out, and they were like five hundred. I was yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not paying that for headphones. I don't care how great they are. But uh, now that the price is going down a little bit on Amazon, I only see it going down even lower around Black Friday. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm very much. They they sound like good headphones. But the price of them is just insane at $500 for their MSRP. And you can get such better headphones for that price and even lower. Yeah, like I got the Sony XM4s. Like I love these, you know what I mean? But me being kind of like a collector of headphones, I kind of wanted to try the best of both worlds, just not pay 500 for it. Right. I gotcha. So, yeah, pretty much that. Maybe a Sony Bluetooth turntable. And like that's about it maybe yeah yeah that's about it yeah and of course Um, i'll see what movies are uh you know down in price for black friday and probably pick up some more to add to the collection i I, i'll I'll never say never but i think this might be the first black friday in existence i might not buy any movies really i don't know if we're gonna have to come back to this on like uh the first podcast after black friday where you go so i bought all these movies (laughs) You know, so, man, I just walked into Target. I told myself I'm just here for this one thing, and I, I don't know. I just blacked out. I, I came <laughs> home with, like, like 10 Blu-rays, with my wife shaking her head, like, just, like, not talking to me. Like, I don't know what happened. I blacked out. You're going to come on the podcast. Did you know that they released the Peter Jackson King Kong on 4K? <laughs> and it was only $3. I don't even own 4Ks yet, man. I don't even have a 4K TV. I'm still in the... 1080p stage that that doesn't matter you're gonna come home with some 4k blu-rays and you're gonna be like i don't know what to do with these but i got them it was four dollars so i just bought it yeah <laughs> i never never watch it oh i um nah man i don't know man i, I think i've gotten lazy man uh, i think streaming has kind of got me lazy but uh let's uh get into it here um all right, man. So we got one here that's 1988, one that's 1999. Which uh, which one? Which way you thinking? You thinking chronological? I think we gotta go chronological on this one. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, Miracle Mile. So, was this your first time seeing this film? This was the first time seeing this film completely, but I had heard of this film multiple times. Okay. 
Uh, okay, it was yeah. actually one that's been recommended to me a lot because it's one of the few films that pulls off doing a story in real time, more or less story in real time. And I love that. It's one of those like movie cliche types that I can jump into anytime, no matter what the plot is. Right. There's, yeah, right. The thing I love about Miracle Mile, too, is like um, this is a late 80s film and it starts off kind of like a romantic romantic film really it starts off like a romance it's about this mm-hmm. guy who's a jazz musician you know he's kind of a quirky funny guy he meets a, um a nice looking lady at the um where were they at the museum it was at a museum yeah and they, they go on a little like 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 you know uh uh they go on like a little date and um you know she brings her uh dad to come see him play and you know they just have like a uh they, they just have a great time. And she says, hey, look, um, I work at the Miracle Diner. Not she, I don't know if it's called the Miracle Diner, but I, look, I work at the diner. Um, I get off around this time. If you can meet me there, we can go on a date. So he goes to sleep, of course. Um, his power goes out while he's sleeping. So he misses the date. He goes at the diner trying to call her up, knowing he's he's probably missed his chance at love. Um, and then, uh, you know, he receives a call. Uh, from a man letting him know who he thinks the man on the other line thinks he's his father. He he, he called the wrong phone toll booth. He says, "Listen, Dad, it's real." Well, he the, did the wrong zip code or not zip code area code. Wrong area code. Yeah. So he's like, "Dad, the threat is real. They're they're uh the the missiles coming. It's real." And the other guy's like, "Man, is this a joke? What is this?" So that's when that's when the film like sh- straight up shifts into like a like a a, a thriller race against time film. And I mm-hmm. love that because like. Had you known anything about this movie before you watched it? Like, like what kind of like genre it was or people just recommended it to you? Uh, people had recommended it to me. I knew that it was a thriller and that it was kind of like an apocalyptic thriller, but mm-hmm. I didn't know anything beyond that. Yeah, I, um, I got to say, man, like uh, we'll get to the ending, but like from the beginning to the end, this movie is really ballsy for its time. Oh, yeah. And I. And I think it's just it's just really well done in how it um it teeters the line between, you know, thriller and no, it teeters the line between is this threat real or is it fake? Like it teeters that line well and it just shows chaos with even the threat of impending disaster, man. Mm-hmm. This is my second time watching this movie. Um it, with it being your first, what was your response to it? Uh, well, for starters, I love movies that manage to do like real time playthroughs where basically when he goes, we have 50 minutes. It's almost like on the dot 50 minutes between when he gets off that phone and when things start going down and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I I love how they played with that. And every moment is tense and everything like that. They played great with getting the tension in every scene. Even when they're getting gas and stuff, there's a lot of tension going on. And then when he's like going through and trying to find uh, her apartment and everything, trying to get in, and it's it gets intense. It, this movie plays with tension so well. It, there wasn't a moment that I wasn't glued to the screen watching this one. This yeah. was an easy like it, the phone could have been ringing, you know, there could have been a fire behind me and I wouldn't have known until the credits rolled. I turned and gone, oh, well, look at that. <laughs> That's why I got hotter in the room. <laughs> this film does what Running Scared did, but it did it, I, I want to say, with more of a um, more of a controlled pace. You know what I yes. mean? 
you know, it wasn't so too off the wall. It was like very much like the stakes are being raised and they're being raised constantly, but we're still at a certain pace here. It's at an, it's at a pace that's not too over the top or out of left field. Um, right, because you're basically seeing a man struggle to cope with the information he has, not knowing if it's real or not, and right. he's just panicking the entire time. Everything he's doing is basically him in panic mode to try and get out of the area before what is coming happens. And, and, and yeah, and rescue this girl that he's just found that he, he may be in love with and possibly save her. Right. Too. Um, yes. Uh, the lead actor, Anthony Edwards, I know he's from ER. I never really watched ER, but he, he really sold me in this lead role, man. He plays the, he plays the great, everyday guy being thrown into this situation oh yeah. i feel like that's why he's such a compelling character because i think either one of us could put ourselves in his situation like you know you you uh you you, you missed the date you you come to the diner trying to like uh reconcile or trying to get a second chance and all of a sudden you get your life flashes before your eyes like you know like it's 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 about to be the end of the world what are you gonna do mm-hmm yeah, it definitely plays with that well, and especially in scenes where he's like looking for a helicopter pilot and stuff like that. He's just running through buildings and just you, you. He plays the role so well of just somebody that's completely in panic and like trying to find like this dire need, and it's such an absurd need that he's looking for a helicopter pilot at three a.m. But given the circumstances, it makes sense in the plot. It doesn't Dude, seem so out there. Late eighties, no Craigslist. You gotta ask yourself, what would you do? Yeah. What, what can you do? Um, <laughs> that gym was weird that he went into. It was that a was little weird, oddly like configured. That was a weird gym. Yeah, like um, it was a gym, but it was a weird gym. And uh, I love how he meets the one guy. Um, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was in the gym or was it in a club? Was it in a bar? The guy that said he can't fly the plane. That was in the gym. He was like doing reps or something like that. Yeah, and I love how he says, um, "I can do it, but I have to bring my, uh, I have to bring my partner." Or no, okay. it was I have to get somebody, and he was like, "We don't have time." Well, then I'm not flying the plane. Okay, well, go ahead and get them. And he just walks into the next room, grabs okay. somebody. And he's like, "Okay, we're ready." And then uh, I love how there's that little pause, and he's like, "Is there a problem?" Because you know he realizes his, his partner is is a man. He's like, "No, no, no, no. Let's let's just go." Yeah. Like, like you know, uh, I just I just love the urgency of this film. But way before that, man, that gas station scene was crazy when I first oh, saw yeah. it. Like how that just went from zero to ten was amazing, and I and it was it was very tightly written and directed. Like Steve DeJarnat, he's the guy that wrote and directed this film. Like he. That's, that scene was like like very finely crafted, man. How it went from them just getting gas and, you know, of course there's tension, then there's racial tension, then the cops show up, and then the fight, the explosion happens. I'm like, whoa. Well, not like only that, that, but it goes from zero to ten with just the gas station attendant being like, you're not getting gas here and stuff like that. And then right. they calm that and it goes back to zero. And then the police arrive and it just goes right back up to ten again. Like, it, it takes this weird roller coaster of going one to ten, one to ten. Yeah. And then on top of that, he took the car. Like, you know, he had he had the man who first gave him a ride played by uh, Mike Letty. I don't know how to say his name. Right, I think it's uh, 
Mike Latay or Williamson. I always mess up his name, but um, he was worried about his sister who's in the hospital and he has to go. Yeah, she's in the hospital and he has to go save her. So, you know, at some point he has to take the police car that they just jacked after that whole gas station incident. And now this guy is without a car like he he keeps. I love how the film puts him in, in one hole after another, and he, he, he still seems to f- dig himself out. Right. And each time that he's thrown into a different situation, it's all believable, too, because these yeah. people are also in panic. So they're kind of – he goes, I need to get my sister, man. I, I can't wait here forever for you to come down from, you know, the – what was it? A uh, apartment complex. So he right. leaves him. And it's like now he's without a car. And it's believable that the other guy would leave because he's also in panic mode. Like each person that's in panic mode in this movie has their own story. And I love that you never see the people from the diner after that as well. Like they're yeah. gone. Yeah, I love how um, I when it shifted from the diner, they were in the like car driving away, and you know you um, uh, the one guy's talking. Somebody's making a list or something of people they should save. Oh and, yeah. Uh, the lady kept saying some people that that didn't really matter, and he was like, "Why? Why would we save them? Like, w- what's the benefit of them?" Um, yeah, and I love he starts naming like important people, and he's like, uh, "Oprah," and you know all this other, and right. eventually goes, "Wait, do you have the phone numbers for any of these people?" <laughs> right, right. Like you know, again, what can you do in that situation? But right. I I thought that was pretty funny, and um. The score by Tangerine Dream was very nice in this film, like especially during the tense scenes. They had some, they had some pretty nice uh, uh, song cues. Yeah, uh, the score on this one really didn't stand out to me. It seemed to just flow into the movie well, which is a good thing by mm-hmm. all means. That you know, it but it didn't stick out to me at all in this one. Like, there's some moments in movies where you're like, oh, man, the score really, you know, bravadoed that entire scene up uh, notch. Uh, I didn't think there was anything in this movie that kind of had that same kind of moment for me. What do you mean? Like, kind of a scene where the music took it over. Where... Okay, yeah, I, I was mostly referring to the scene where he's like, um, where he jumps out of the car when he says, "Hey, man, we have to go rescue my girl." And he said, "It's too late, man. I can't, I can't swing over there." But, you know, when I get up in this bend, you can just hop off. Like that scene, I the music kind of popped out to me a little bit. But I guess I, I guess I was probably listening a little too hard. Um, I like '80s. I like '80s film scores. They really stand out to me. Yeah, but uh. Cut to the ending where he finally, um, you know, gets his woman, uh, played by Mayor Winningham. Uh, this, uh, this final scene, man, what was, uh, what did you think? Like that whole final scene of going up to the rooftop and, like, well, actually before that, when, when, it, when, um, they, they, uh, the police try to catch them in, um, department store because they were chasing after the guy who he initially caught a ride with. He crashes into the. He crashes into the mall, and um, unfortunately, him and his sister don't make it, and the p- cops show up there. That whole sequence when they just run away, and then it's like that realization that, oh, no, we, we thought it wasn't real. Now nah, it is real. Like, What did you think of all that? So 
I, I really like how it played with the idea that it might not actually be real because mm-hmm. she was basically going, it's been 50 minutes. You you said it would have happened by now. It would have happened by now and nothing's happened. And it, it started kind of like coming across to me, oh yeah, so it, it wasn't real. The entire thing was kind of just fake and everything like that. And when they finally get out and, like, people are, like, starting to panic and there's starting to be some widespread kind of information kind of going out with, like, the TVs and stuff. And he finally makes a call to who would be uh, Chip's dad and, you know, Mm asks him, do you have a son named Chip who works in, like, a missile silo? And he's like, that's confidential information. Who are you? And it kind of just starts coming together of, yeah, this is real. And then we get the pinnacle moment where... Uh, they can't escape in the helicopter. It's too late already. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it it was it was a very touching moment when they're like stuck in the helicopter because yeah, at that point there's nothing they could do. They were just stuck there. That this was their death at that point because they could leave the helicopter, but it, it would be a gas cloud outside of it, and inside the helicopter they're gonna drown. It's like the worst scenario they could be in but there's nothing they could do about it anymore. Yeah, man, that's a scary thought, man. Like, I, I felt like it, that was a touching ending, but it was such a, you know, when this film was initially uh, pitched, they wanted him to get rid of that downbeat ending. They wanted a happy ending. Like, you got to remember, this is the late 80s. Right. And the writer-director, he stuck, well, I think when he first shipped it, it wasn't the late 80s, but... The writer director stuck by his gun and said, no, that has to be the ending like this has to be we need to stick to our guns with this story like all the way through. And I'm glad he made it that way. Um, It is a sad ending, but I just think I think it's the gumption of this movie that uh, makes it so underrated, makes it an underrated classic to me. Right. It, It well, one thing is. I was looking it up afterwards, and a lot of people praise this movie, but yeah, it doesn't get talked about too much. So the people That's that, crazy to me. Yeah, the people that talk about it are praising it, which I 100% agree with, but yeah. it wasn't, I wasn't finding too much on it in terms of people talking about it. Even like on uh, IMDb and stuff, it's got a very low amount of like ratings and reviews and stuff. I um I think the way I came across this movie when I first watched it a few few years back I um I saw something there was an article in the I don't know if it was the AV Club or it was somewhere saying like that great apocalyptic movie from the eighties that almost didn't happen I said oh what movie so I read about it and of course it of course it spoiled it for me not too much but it kind of gave mm-hmm. away the ending through like how it was so hard to like like sell that script in the beginning. So I said, I got to check this movie out. And um, even with me knowing the ending, I was like, wow, that's a pretty, that was a very good movie. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree. Even if I was to go back and watch this movie again, I think it'd still stand up as a great movie, even knowing how it all ends. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. um, I'm glad I got to show you this, man. I'm glad I I put you onto this. I give it a 4.5. I give it a 4.5 out of 5. This one's a 5 out of 5 for me. Uh, I I love this one. It's it's one of those few movies that can hit that uh, like 
like I said, it, it's got so many things I love about it. I love thrillers. I love kind mm-hmm. of apocalypse movies and it being like a real time kind of panic movie that also has that air of like mystery of like, is it real or not? It, yeah, it, it's a five out of five for me. Okay. All right. Wow. That's impressive. Off one watch, huh? Off one watch. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm uh well I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Alright, uh moving on. We got uh we got Arlington Road, uh, which was made in nineteen ninety nine, directed by Mark Pellington and uh written by Aaron Kruger, who uh fun fact, I'll tell you later as we as we talk about it, but um Arlington Road. So this is a movie I remember seeing when I was a kid that I really liked and um, I revisited it today when we brought it up for like topics and stuff like that. This is your first time watching this. This was the first time watching this one and first time even hearing about this one. Wow. I, I remember when this came out, like I remember in theaters, we didn't see it in theaters, but we rented it from blockbuster when it first came out. Well, my mom rent, my mom and dad rented it. And I remember watching it with my mom and I was saying like, I, I didn't quite understand all the, the the things with the terrorist subplots and stuff like that. Again, I'm a kid, mm-hmm. and you know this is this is pre 9/11 too, so that that's something else too. Um, but I remember saying like, man, that was kind of a good movie, and you know revisiting it today. Um, this is an underrated film, man. This is another film that doesn't get talked about as much, and I, I feel like, you know, as we talk about it, I'll see how you feel about it. But I, I feel like that's kind of a crime. Um, I, I got to agree. Like this one should be one that's talked about more. Uh, but on the flip side of uh, the other movie, it, this one, when I was reading people that were talking about after watching it, of course, and mm. it, it seems that this one's a lot more mixed on how people felt about it. Okay. I can see, I can kind of see that though. I can kind of see that, but um, I'll let you take the mantle on this one to the, uh, give a quick synopsis and all that. So this one follows, I can't remember what uh, his name was, but played by Jeff Bridges, uh, who... I can find it right here. Uh, Michael Faraday. Michael Faraday, that's what it is. So Michael Faraday is just kind of a standard guy that lives in the neighborhood that uh, was married to an FBI agent who died on the job. And yep. he has taken the position of being a history teacher specializing in, like, anti-terrorism and, you know, uh, terrorism events and everything that happened within the United States. Mm-hmm. So he has a great interest in this because that's literally what his wife used to do and she died on the job doing. And he also has a son and we are introduced to him when one of the neighbor's kids is like walking down the street, like bloody arm that's like all burnt up. Great opening, dude. Great. I don't think there could have been a better opening to get my attention when it comes to this. Because when you start a movie, you're usually a little focused on it and stuff like that. And you're like, okay. Yeah. This one, it immediately grabs you and goes, okay, there's what is going on in this? Mm-hmm. And you find out that he like uh, hurt him, burned himself, like lighting fireworks and stuff like that. And so uh, Mike eventually kind of goes to the parents' house because he brought the kid to a hospital and everything. Mm-hmm. And he realized he didn't know the kid's name. He didn't know anything about his neighbors. Uh, he's very like secluded since his wife died, and he needed to start getting out a little bit more. And he used this as an opportunity to do that. 
to kind of meet some of the neighbors and everything, including the parents of this kid that he literally saved. Right. So from there, uh, he starts kind of getting to know this family a little bit more and then gets suspicious of them when things just aren't adding up that they talk about and eventually gets the idea that these people are terrorists and they're hiding something uh, because the the father has gone through a name change. Apparently before the name change, he was known to be trying to detonate like a pipe bomb and all this other stuff. Right. And he had it out for the government and everything. And it just kind of goes from there. And it keeps playing with this idea of, is he actually, you know, a terrorist or was Same. it just like, uh, he was a teenager that was stupid and he changed his name to kind of get past that, to, you know, create a new life and stuff where that wouldn't bog him down. Right. That's a great dude. I tell you, man, this stuff happens by coincidence. That's another great parallel to the uh, previous film. When I initially suggested us putting these two films together, I didn't know that this one also had the same kind of is it or isn't it? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like like the film kind of the film does a nice job of playing with you like like Miracle Mile did. Like, well, is, is this guy a terrorist or is he just a little off? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, he. Does he have a past that he doesn't like being brought up or is he somebody that is actually trying to hide something? Right. And, um, you know, talking about the acting for a second, like Jeff Bridges does a great job in the lead role. Like that's that's what I was saying. Uh, But Tim Robbins, like he plays the he plays the nice neighbor with the creepy that looks like he has a creepy uh, hidden side so well. Mm -hmm. Like he he like his his performance as um. Uh, Oliver Lang, like that was was really great because I feel like he he really knew how to he knew he knows how to sell the nice he knows how to sell the Ned Flanders with a dark past very well. Yeah, it's kind of like the movie that we watched for uh, last week, uh, the horror movie. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was though. Summer of '84. Summer of '84, where you had that yeah. v- like super nice person that you know it. it almost comes off as too nice but it, not in the same way as like the neighborly cop was like overly nice uh mm. this one comes off as more of just your standard neighbor you know he helps out where he can he tries to do his best for his kids and he, he just seems like a good guy yeah um yeah you got that and i like how joan cusack is pretty good too as his wife she um she I mean, she she doesn't seem like she has a hidden side, but she plays good as the like, you know, the the the, the housewife. Yeah, like she does that role well, too. Um, I like how I like the character development of this main character of uh, Faraday, because you have to ask yourself, all right, are you going to just put any type of character to like be obsessed with a terrorist living next door? Like that seems kind of like far fetched. But I like how his character has a reason to be suspicious. Like, given his history with his wife's murder, and, like, that whole flashback is so, it's kind of sad to watch. Oh, yeah. When, uh, Especially since he's kind of monologuing the entire thing and kind of explaining what it was happening as it was happening. Yeah. And, yeah. I just love how his character development up to that point in his character's history brought him to that moment of having over-suspicion for his neighbor being a terrorist. And, at the, and, and until a certain point in the movie, you are kind of like... Well, is he just like just not over his wife's death and he's just like 
following this up just to kind of like make sense of the world. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you really don't know it's at certain points in the movie, like if he's just like tripping or whatever. Yeah, he um, comes off as absolutely insane for large portions of the movie where you're yeah. like, he is literally grasping at the biggest straws possible. And that's not a design of a mall. That's a design of something else. Yeah. You know? Well, how well do you know designs? I don't know designs, but I know that isn't a mall. I love, I love how his girlfriend is like, oh, so like, where did you go for engineering? I, I didn't, and then he catches himself like, yeah. man, whatever. Like, <laughs> also, uh, when they're at uh, the one guy's house and they're like in his office, and he has like these plans for like other buildings and stuff, and he's just like, oh yeah, I just love you know keeping uh, architectural buildings of you know anything that really was built cool, and I like the design of. And right. his girlfriend kind of goes, oh, and how many of these are malls? Oh, none of these are malls. Oh, would you look at that? And just gives him, the uh, Mike, this like snide little side eye of just, oh, would you look at that? You know, it's not all right. malls. Right. I thought that was so funny. Uh, I, I love the little little asides in this movie. And I like the role of um, his wife's former partner. Uh, who was he? he Whit Carver. Yes. Uh, Whit. Yeah, I like how he he sincerely wants to be there for Faraday, but he wants to make sure Faraday is all good. He's like, he's like, look, man, you you want me to investigate this guy, but I really think you need to take a break from this terrorist stuff and just you know enjoy your life with your son. Like you know, like just like just take a break from school, take a break from teaching because I think you're losing it. Mm-hmm. And um, I love how it goes to the centerpiece scene where finally. Um, Tim Robbins' character Oliver Lang confronts him and um, confronts Faraday in his backyard. Like, okay, man, yeah, my name used to be William Fenimore, but you never did anything stupid when you were sixteen. Like, I, I, I did something stupid with a pipe bomb. They took my family's farm. They made us broke. The government did this. Like, you know, like, like it's, it's like, um, I'm not proud of it. Yeah, and they, they ruined my family, and I was a teenager, and I wanted revenge, and I did something stupid, and I've moved past that. You know, don't you? If you want to talk about it, talk to me. You don't have to try and dig this up. Right, like you could just come see me. That's what he always says. He says, yeah. he says, just to say it to my face, or not say it to my face, but you can come see me directly. And um, you know, by that point, of course, of course, if it's your first time watching it, you're like, oh, okay, well. Well, I mean, I don't know if you if, you, if you're well versed in thrillers, you know, not nah, there needs to be something else going on here. Um, oh yeah, this is it, only the halfway point in the movie. There's okay, I'm I'm even more suspicious of him now. <laughs> right, but it's a great it's a great scene because he lets him know, like, I know you're looking into me. Yeah, you know, and it, there's many points in the movie where I was kind of like, okay, this is late '90s, but he's got to know that something's going on, right? Like that scene where he's in the um. I don't know if he's in the library or if he's um. He was in his uh, office at uh, the school. Yeah, because he was pulling office. up records from the library in the school. There you go. And he's looking at the things, and you you see in the back of Jeff Bridges, there's someone st- standing behind him, mm-hmm. and then finally the camera shows this, you know, it's Tim Robbins' character, and I'm like, if you don't know by then that he's looking into him, the whole thing of going in his house talking about. Hey, I uh got locked out of my house, and you know he's he's I almost laughed because he was in the office study trying to get the the picture off the wall, and then Joan Cusack comes in like, "Hey, what's going on?" Oh yeah, <laughs> so oh your 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 portrait almost fell off the wall. I'm like, 
if you don't, whether he's a terrorist or not, if you don't know this guy spying on him, he wouldn't know by now. Right. I, I would yeah. love to see, I don't know if the, I've ever seen a movie that's done that opposite of the guy that thinks that, uh, like, their neighbor is up to something and it turns out he isn't. And the neighbor literally starts thinking the guy is crazy for, like, spying on him. It may exist, but I don't. I don't know either. It it, it has to exist because it, the trope of being somebody spying on somebody and them not realizing it is so overdone that they have to have the reverse out there somewhere. It's got to be a trope in of itself. It's a good idea for a movie because most likely it is what they think. They're yeah. made to look. They're made to look crazy. They're, they they they're made to look like they've been making it up this whole time and that they have some kind of past trauma going on. And then it realizes, oh no, they were it, they were right. Yeah, you know, because even in the-, the ones where it's like, oh, and then the person got taken to an insane asylum because they were crazy. There's always like that little stinger at the end where it's like, oh, they were right the entire time. They weren't really crazy. They just got you know caught by the police and thought they were crazy. I like how this film almost goes that approach, but it it it, it takes it further than that, and it um it really leads to a a great like dark ending. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that part. So like, um, you know, cutting, cutting to, um, his girlfriend, you know, kind of convinces him to like, you know, lay off, you know, you're, you're not right about this. Um, she, um, ends up, uh, seeing, um, Oliver Lang someplace and he's doing like this little secret exchange. She's kind of, she's kind of unseen by him. Mm -hmm. She follows him. Uh, to this suspicious place where she he exchanged something with the kind of like a suspicious man, and then she kind of like like speeds off with the guy that she ex- the guy that he exchanged it with, seeing her drive off, and um you know cut to she's like leaving a message for Faraday saying hey 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 you might be right I just saw something and you know next thing we know Joan Cusack shows up out of nowhere saying she was like hey funny to see you here I was uh shopping or no it what are you doing here shopping what are you doing here shopping <laughs> like it's a right. very I, awkward kind of moment <laughs> i love how she says that like you know but I, I i think the way joan cusack said that was like obviously i'm shopping like, well yeah if you're shopping i'm i'm shopping you know and then uh, i like that little pause and then uh cut to uh you know faraday wakes up and sees on the news that his girlfriend got in the car accident and died and then that's when we know like oh shoot something is about to go down and i like from there you know it's kind of like with uh, miracle mile like that's when the ball really starts to get rolling like that's how mm-hmm. you know you're in the final act because you got to remember like his son is at um his son who who was becoming friends with um uh, oliver lang's son throughout all this they're at like uh some boy troop thing or something yeah, it's like a boy scout camp out kind of thing yeah something like that and um Michael Faraday goes to speak uh, with um, one of the men whose events he studies in his class um, that's low-key inspired by uh, what real-life thing happened, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City bombing. Um, there was a man that bombed a building or something. He was, he was driving a car, and um, the car blew up this building that was for the IR, that one of the offices in there was the IRS, right? Yeah, one of the the target was the IRS building, but it also took out the entire building, which was, you know, a couple, you know, like a hundred or so other people were caught into it from yeah. other places that were in the same building. 
Yeah, and there was also like a um, a daycare center in there too. Yeah. Um, so they thought, oh, it's because they uh, they tried to they 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 tried to get him for not paying his taxes. Um, and I like how I like how this film wrestles with. Um, there's always these major terrorist events that happen, like the shooting in uh, was it Orlando at the concert? Yeah, the recent one. That that was it, it at is, the concert in Orlando. Yeah. And all we had with it was this one guy that just did it, and we didn't we didn't we didn't we didn't know no motive, mm-hmm. you know. We don't know why he did it. I think he shot himself, right? Or they shot I, him. I think he was shot when he was trying to escape. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, either way, if we're if we if we if we're not quoting the right folks, we apologize. But either way, we don't know quite a motive behind it. He just did it. Sometimes things just happen, and we 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 hate that. Like the Columbine incident, we don't. We don't know the exact reason why those kids snapped or why yeah. they did what they did. Like and it, it, it hurts that we can't know that because we need, we as humans need an explanation for horrible things. Yeah, we want to know so we create our own kind of conclusion as to why they did it, just so we feel better. Right. So cut to um, he visits this guy's father, saying, "Hey, when your son did this bombing, like what what was the motive?" And he was like. He was like, I don't know, man. You don't think I've wrestled with this? Like, but I know he wouldn't have done that if he knew that a daycare center was there. And then uh, he he said, you know, he loved kids. And then he revealed that he he worked at this uh, boy troop with kids. And it's the same boy troop that his son is at. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he realizes, oh, no, like it's a connection. So um, he goes to the boy troop, tries to get his son. Then he realizes, oh, he was already picked up by his father. He said, I'm his father. And then we realize Oliver Lang took him. So then that's when he goes back to Oliver Lang's house and there's like a party going on. And uh, Oliver Lang says to him, like, you just couldn't you just couldn't leave it alone. I just told you to just mind your business and you just couldn't leave it alone. Uh, well, no, what, no, he says that later. But he says yeah. to him, like, you could like I just told you, if you want to know something, just tell me to my face. And so basically he reveals that, yeah, we're we're up to we're up to no good. We're basically terrorists. And um, your son is safe, but if you do anything out of order, if you just just go to your class, teach your class, go home and sleep. You do anything other than that, then what happened to your girlfriend? What happened to your son? Yeah. Pretty so much. basically, the biggest threat that you can make to him is literally on his son right now, who is in his possession. Right. You know, Faraday doesn't have his son at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have his son. So um, you know, cut to. Uh, and I love how this final I love this whole final act. But basically, we we come down to Faraday um, just uh, not really giving up uh, and just really just trying to look for a different way. Like he's trying to see if he can stop whatever terrorist attack is about to happen, um, you know, because one, why not be the hero? And two, you know, no one wants to see no one. Want, one, why not be the hero? And two. I feel like he was trying to I don't know if I want to look into anything deep behind it, but I feel like he was trying to do what his wife w- was trying to do that day. They came to that um, farm and those people weren't even like terrorists. They were just like uh, protecting some guns left uh, left to them by uh, their father or something. Uh, that were- they had the father got an inheritance and he mm-hmm. was a uh, firearms collector. So he had bought a right. bunch of illegally gained firearms legally had mm-hmm. purchased them and was storing them and knew that people would possibly come after them for it. So he told 
uh, when he was away, he told his family, you know, if anybody comes on this land, you, you protect this with your life because people are going to come and they are going to come to steal this. So when the FBI was there investigating because he bought a large supply of illegal firearms, right? Uh, they thought the FBI were there to take the firearms to steal them, not because they were investigating it. My only, that's a very sad scene um, and effective. But my only thing was common sense didn't kick in and say, like, you can't shoot the FBI. Like, uh, common sense didn't they kick never, in. So he actually explains that they never said that they were uh, federal police or police or anything like that. They never identified themselves. I thought they had the jackets on. Uh, they, they had the bulletproof vests on. They didn't say anything on them, though. Okay. All right. Well, I, all right. I stand corrected. Yeah. Um. I thought they had. To, I could have swore I saw an FBI j- jacket, but it I guess could have. But at the same time, it, when you're told, you know, somebody's going to come and steal this, and they don't actually go, "Hey, we're FBI," but they're just carrying like FBI jackets and stuff like that. It, you can go out and you can buy a jacket that says FBI on it. All right, yeah, you can argue that. Uh, Then it's also kids. Keep that in mind. The first person to shoot was the, like, what, 11-year-old? Which There were some adults there, too, though. There were some adults there, too, but there was already shots being fired by that point, and one of the adults tried to stop it, and she got shot in the process. Yeah, yeah, the mother, yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, so you got that scene. Uh, Anyway, cut to... um, Faraday's in a uh, race against time trying to stop whatever uh, terrorist plot is about to happen. So um, he follows this van. He sees his son is in one of the vans. So um, he follows the van and uh, he ends up in um, some kind of garage. And uh, out of nowhere, uh, Oliver Lang shows up, you know, pulls him into a room, starts beating him up and saying, hey, man, you could have just minded your business. Now what am I gonna do? I can't trust you now. You've obviously shown me twice that you uh, you, you plan to stop this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Faraday gets the better of him, starts beating him up, telling him, "Hey, uh, you know, to call it off." And Oliver Lang throws the thing, so he can't call it off. And um, you know, at some point, uh, Lang makes a run for it, and Faraday makes a run in his car. And uh, I think he uh, he follows the van that he thinks has his son in it and he follows it all the way to an FBI building and tells the FBI, Hey, Hey, don't let that van in there. That has a bomb. The van has a bomb. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finally they let him through because his friend wick comes out and says, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. And, uh, you know, you get, I love, I love this pump fake from a writing standpoint where, um, they check in the van and it's nothing but a prisoner that's authorized to be there. You know, um, and his son isn't in the car either. Uh, so it's, it's just an authorized prisoner in the building. Then he turns around and runs to his car and realizes they put the bomb in his trunk. Right. And then it goes off. Kaboom. Uh, I thought that was uh, when I first saw that as a kid. I don't I remember that that happened. I don't remember how that whole plot twist happened because it was so long ago. But watching it with fresh eyes today. Uh, I really like how they did that. It, that was a it's nice a twist, twist that actually got me. I was not yeah. expecting that in any way, and I, I like how it even goes into like the end kind of credits of like the after the bomb went off, uh, people trying to create a story around him being like he was a, a 
doing it alone. Uh, it was all fair away. He took all the blame for everything that happened. Right. And they, they, people need to make sense of something. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a, he's a professor that lost his wife due to um, uh, a false flag of terrorism. Uh, he wanted to take revenge against those people. He, you had some classmates in there saying, yeah, he said one day they said they would pay. Now, I want to ask you something. One of those people that they had they was, that was talking to the news saying, yeah, he always said one day they will pay. I think that was the same woman that was on the phone calling the uh, that was getting the call when the thing was about to go off. One of the people that was make that was getting the call to like, all right, it's time to go, like like pull the um, switch. They if it was, alike. I didn't make the connection with that one. They might just look alike, but two of those women, those women looked alike if if they're two different people. But um, yeah, man, and, and then you know it's and. The, the ending really got me because it was so sad because like you, you you think about the son now he doesn't have a mom nor a dad now he has to live with his aunt and uncle and this was all by i don't even know if it was by chance to be honest like do you think the kid do you think they purposely blew the kid's thumb off to make this whole film no because they can't predict he's gonna come home at that time and no i think that happened to just be by chance uh, because yeah. he was playing with one of the bombs or something like that that they have, and they made up the excuse of it was fireworks. Right, right. And they kind of saw the opportunity to use him because uh, he even mentions this like earlier in the movie when he's just starting to come up with a plot that uh, they might be terrorists. He's like, look, they were like trying to recruit me. Like They were using certain terms and stuff, like ally and this and that and stuff like that. So I think that's Who when they were... Him? Uh, the neighbors to Faraday. What scene was that? It was when, the, uh, when they said the whole thing about ally and stuff. Was that when they first met? Uh, that was when they were at dinner, uh, like to the birthday party or something like that. I can't remember if it was the kid's birthday or, but they went there and there was a bunch of kids like running around and it was, uh, him talking with Oliver. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. They probably would try to recruit him though, because so, he has a, he has a reason to be mad at the government. Right. So they like got his backstory, and then they saw if they could recruit him, and then when they realized they wouldn't be able to, that's when he became the target of their, uh, I guess, getaway or their scapegoat. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think he was he was made to be a fall guy. Yes, like um, and that's what made me think. And I may be wrong, but I don't. I didn't connect. I didn't connect these dots at first. But I think the guy who um, the event that uh, Faraday was teaching in his class that that blew up the building that had the IRS office. I think he was a fall guy too. Um, wait, which Just person because, are you talking about? So the event that um. Uh, Faraday taught in his class, or the guy that blew up the office that had the IRS building and the oh, daycare center. Yes, yeah, they allude that he was also a fall guy, and that's how they he put two and two together because of the scout troop and stuff like that. Like they were training kids to become the fall guys for these incidents. Yeah, man. Um, I really think this is a great Hitchcockian thriller that um, you know it doesn't get talked about as enough you know you got two great actors here jeff bridges and tim robbins um and this is just like this is one of the best thrillers i ever watched growing up and it's one of those thrillers that you 
I got I, I kind of get a little sad as it that doesn't get enough love. And it's it's interesting that this movie is pre nine eleven. Like I wonder how yeah. this was. I wonder how this was sell post nine eleven. Well, we're in post nine eleven, but I mean like immediately in that era where any films that had to do with terrorists were kind of like swept under the rug, or like you know not given much uh, commercial airtime. I wonder how this film would have sold post that. Yeah, if this came out in like two thousand two, I, I don't think it would have been seen by pretty much anyone at that point. Hmm. Uh, I think it would have basically been like a straight-to-DVD kind of release. Even if it was all pre-made and ready to go to theaters and stuff like that, I think it would have ended up being swept under no theater would want to play this kind of thing, and it would end up just going a straight-to-DVD blockbuster video kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a strong thriller, man. Like, everything everything in this film works to me. Um uh, the character development, the um, you know, the way the music score, not that the music score itself was like like I, I, I um I peeped it out like I did with Miracle Mile, but like I love how like in that opening scene, like right before they show the opening credits, you hear the score like rise up and up as the doctor's like, What's his name? What's his name? And Faraday's like, I don't know the kid's name. And yeah. you know, it just it's just so crazy. And then the credits show and every time Faraday is on to something and things get crazier and crazier, the music kinda like 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 gives you more it, it makes the scene more and more intense it, it keeps um, hyping it up yeah um i really like this man i get this uh it's a 4.5 uh this one's a four for me uh, there were a couple things okay. where it's like you had to suspend disbelief on certain things uh yeah it, there's a couple scenes that just did not work for me uh like him going and you know pretending to be locked out of his house and like going through like the office and stuff like that. It's like, uh, you, you could have found some way to be more smart about this. This is, you know, well, for mean, somebody that acts so smart throughout the rest of the movie, you do a lot of dumb mistakes. Well, we got to remember he's a professor. He, he's not an FBI agent. Right. Like, and again, he, he could be paranoid. So he could be doing a lot of dumb stuff out of paranoia. Yeah. But, but I, I okay. I, I hear you on that one. Um, man, if I would really go toe-to-toe, I, re- I really like Arlington Road, but I think Miracle Mile has has more... The, the times I've seen it has, has had more of a punch on me. So I would I would have to go with Miracle as the... As, 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 the, as the more stronger choice. Not the better film, because they're both great in their own right, but the stronger choice. Uh, I would go as far to say that Miracle Mile is the better movie between these two Arlington Road is a great movie but when it's being put up against Miracle Mile it Miracle Mile is winning by a landslide in my opinion oh I thought you were gonna go as winning by a mile oh yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> all right man all right all right uh so your boy finally came out um I gotta talk to you about Eternals but uh Last night in Soho, what'd you think? I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I just got back from vacation. What? I know. I thought you were seeing that while on vacation. You were talking about it. No, said, I wanted yeah, to. I wanted to, but uh, it didn't line up that I was able to see it while on vacation. So I, I have a ticket for Monday. So I'm going to go see it on Monday. And I'm going to see Eternals at the same time because I haven't had a chance to get to a theater at all yet. Okay. Um... Well, I saw Eternals, and um, I have to tell you, man, 
this might not be the best Marvel film I've seen, but it's definitely the most interesting. Uh, uh, when when talking from when talking from a thematic point of view, because uh, this film is pretty dark. Is it like, dark? It, it's it's not dark as in like um like the it's not dark as in like DC disturb- dark. Yeah, it's not that kind of dark. It's not disturb. It's not disturbing. It's just um. It's just very, it's very existential in a way. Okay. Like, like it, it still has the Marvel formula. Don't get me wrong. It's still a Marvel movie, but when you're watching it, it's dealing with weighty themes and like actual higher stakes, like higher stakes than Thanos snapping his finger. Um, and it's just, it's dealing with it in a very existential, meaningful way. And I was like, huh, I was surprised Marvel went that route. Like, it, it gets very deep, man. Um, it's an entertaining movie. It has some pretty great action scenes. Chloe Zhao did a great job with the visuals. Um, all, all the great things that make a great Marvel movie, a great superhero movie, are there. It's just the themes of the film really, it really threw me for a loop. It surprised me, man, because it really makes you think. It's more of a mature Marvel film. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's really weighing against the end of the world here and what what can you do? Like what? What? What can you do? Um, yeah, man. This was a uh, Eternals was deep, man. I really liked it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it because I, like I said, I haven't had a chance to get to a movie theater since I got back from vacation yet. So mm-hmm. I, I have Last Night in Soho and Eternals lined up, basically with like about thirty minutes between them for showings. Okay. So I can pretty much do back to back on them. I might check out I might check out Soho with French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's newest film. Yeah, I saw I like the what, previews for that one. It didn't sell me on it. Like that's a wait for streaming to me for that one. He's a he's a he's a particular taste. You gotta you gotta be into Wes Anderson to really like a Wes Anderson movie. Oh yeah, I can get into Wes Anderson movies, but this one it just it, it's, it seems like more of a I'll wait for streaming kind of movie. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, like his his trailers don't always sell me, but when I see his movies, I was like, okay, yeah, that was a Wes Anderson movie. I like that. I like that a lot. Very quirky, heartfelt, funny. That, that was cool. Um, but yeah, I got. I think I might see Soho and Dispatch back to back. I still need to see Lamb. That's A twenty four's newest like horror film. But that's on streaming now, so I'm like, eh, eh I might as well that, stay that's home. That's one of the problems that I'm having when it comes to like movies and theaters is if I miss it week one, by week three it's already on Netflix or Hulu or something. You know, if it's something I really need to see in theaters, like Dune, I'm going to the theaters. If it's something I was like, I can experience that at home. I don't. I'm not gonna see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm because there's so many movies I want to see, but every time I like look at it, it's like Showtime starting at four thirty, or the next one is at like seven thirty. It's like mm, neither of those times really work. Okay, or well, how, I guess. About, oh, it's on streaming next week. I'll wait until next week. Or how about starts at two thirty? Next time is at ten thirty p.m. Oh yeah, th- those like ones the- I've had that happen for uh, the last duel when I was trying to find a a showing for that and it's like every showing was at these absurd times and it's like i can't make any of those it's i'd have to take a day off work or something did you finally see it not yet i it it 
basically oh, i had man. to wait until it hits streaming or something or i've got to drive out to a theater like 40 minutes away to get a showtime that makes sense if you if you absolutely have to wait for streaming i get it but that ne- that movie needs to be experienced in theaters really it's a really scott movie man yeah i know about, and it has not and it has nights yeah but I, I understand, man. I understand if you can't do it. Um, I think Fresh Dispatch, I, I think I have to watch that in theaters just because Wes Anderson is such a cinema purist. Like, I feel like I need to watch that in theaters. Yeah, I need but, to um, make sure to catch Soho before it leaves theaters. I know that one for a fact because it's Edgar Wright. He does sound design for theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your boy, man. I would expect you to have seen that already i was i would expect you have had to have seen that opening day if it wasn't for the fact that i was literally you know jumping on a plane the following day after it released uh at like basically 4 a.m that there was mm-hmm. no way i could have seen it opening day there was actually a screening that was happening before i originally left as well and it was like oh this is <laughs> bad timing it, this one, it was like the worst timing between me traveling and everything like that. So, okay, okay, all right. Well, um, I recently saw Russian Doll on Netflix, where I know it took me this long to finally get into that show. I was gonna say that's a series, isn't it? It is a series. Um, but I knocked it out in one weekend, man. It was very good. Yeah, because that it, one stars. I'm trying to remember what her name is, but she's from Orange Is the New Black. As Natasha well. Leone. Yes. You know, her voice um, turns a lot of people off. They can't listen to her voice. It's like kind of like the the negative effect of Emma Stone, where people are used to Emma Stone's raspy voice. They don't like her voice. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got used to it after a while. Um, but I got to say, if you're turned off by Leon Leone's voice, the show might not be for you. But the storyline is actually pretty good. Yeah, I I'll be honest, I completely forgot that show existed. I just remember it because it stars uh the her from uh Orange is the New Black. I just said her name. I know, Leon. <laughs> uh I'm messing with you, man. Yeah, I forgot if it wasn't on my list on Netflix, my uh thousand plus list on Netflix, uh I wouldn't have remembered the show either. But I said, you know what? This is short. Let me finally give this a chance. I feel like I get overwhelmed by a lot of stuff on streaming, man. Like, there's so much good things to watch, but you don't want to make a commitment because what if you start watching it and then you want to watch something else and, you know. Yeah, it, it, you keep adding to the list and going, I'll watch this eventually as you play the next, you know, the fourth rerun of The Office. Yeah, I'm still a little salty about that, man. That's not back on Netflix yet. That's still on <laughs> that one service that no one cares about. Um, wait, it's on Peacock, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it took me a moment to even remember where it was. <laughs> that's how that's how insignificant that I, I'm not hating on Peacock. I just don't why? I don't why, why need two hundred different streaming services. Just put everything back on Netflix and Hulu, please. Yeah, I uh, and then when they put Halloween Kills on that channel, on that thing, I'm like, hey, that's great, but I'm still not getting Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> but you can sign up for a seven-day free trial. No, no, that's no. <laughs> and nowadays, man, you know, you can, like, watch cable. Well, you can watch tailored cable channels for free on your Fire Stick nowadays. Like, I mean, like, actually, like, 
like you can get it from the Amazon App Store. Like I think they got IMDb TV. Um, I know Pluto gets a lot of play. Like it comes to the point where you really you don't need cable anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. reached the point where you can now do free cable through streaming, more or less. Yeah, it's a wonderful world. Uh, anything you've seen lately, man, outside of, uh, we, we both saw Doom, but outside of that? Uh, nothing really comes to mind. It, basically, I've been on vacation mode, so I haven't been anywhere near like a TV or anything, aside from these two movies that I watched last night. Uh, beyond that, it, I've literally been on vacation mode from being in Florida and in Texas. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 All right, folks. Well, um, I think that wraps this up. This has been another episode of a uh, double feature versus, uh, y'all take care. <laughs>